0: Hi, welcome to the Wednesday edition of Unexpected Points. I have another special guest here. I have Michael Lopez. Michael is the director of football data and analytics for the NFL. I don't know how many things I want to list off here. You got got a big resume here. PhD from Brown, Masters in Statistics from UMass Amherst. And also, folks, he played the game offensive line for four years while a math major uh pretty much checking all boxes so no nerd or football guy could come at you so i appreciate having having that level of quality of guests on the show thanks mike for joining me
1: kevin thanks for having me and you've had quite a cadre of guests here recently so i'm, I'm happy to happy to join you in the offseason it's a fun time uh and excited to also add to our list that i'm wearing a light blue shirt like you are so we the stars are aligning it should be a fun fun little chat
0: yeah, yeah, perfect guess. You you even can intuit what the proper attire is for the show. So I so I appreciate that. Um, we got a lot of talked about during even though it's the off season. I know we we like the off season is slow, but I don't know how you you think of things. But sometimes the the weekly grind of the season ends up just making it. You know it's a little repetitive, right? the stuff that you have to do during during the season, and then you grind through it and then I feel like the off season is almost a time where I can expand my mind a little bit more and think a little bit more about about what's going on so maybe before we get into anything else, you know you've been at the n f l for a few years now. And I assume during the season, again, you're probably doing a lot of that that grinding out s- sort of work. What is the how does the off season lay out for you? And you know, specifically we'll talk about the big data bowl and, and those sorts of things a little bit later. But generally, how do you approach and does your team and department approach an off season where I'm assuming you have some time to delve into subjects and to research that you don't have during the season?
1: Yeah. Generally our off season we we set out uh, you know March, April, pick the priorities that we want to focus on, and those have generally been long-term projects. You know, I would almost equate it to sort of like a research-type project in, in grad school or something like that, where it takes time um, to get and aggregate and clean all the data. It takes time to think about what methods are most appropriate to answer those questions. Um, so we, we've done a couple of those in my. You know, this is now my fourth year. Um, or I've done four full years. So you know, we've we've had a handful of. Different types of those, and this year, just sort of keeping up with the NFL and, and, and answering some of those long term questions, and then, like you said, in season, it's very much what happened last week, what's going to happen next week, what are the questions we need to answer now, um, because the you know the cycle doesn't stop once once August comes.
0: No, no, it does not. And the I, I'm kind of interested in the ideation process when you're talking about coming up with what you may research. Is this something that is it coming from above? They're saying you should check this out in a vague way, and then you're uh, dealing in on it. Are you coming up with this, and then I don't know, getting approval necessary or not for, from above? Like, how, how does that end up working?
1: So, I it's it's some some level of push pull. Um, there are certainly projects that we have been said, you know, hey, go go look at this, and then there are other times where we'll say, hey, we feel like this is a a project that we can you know tackle and and, and handle. Um, you know, in in my time, we've you know ta- you know tackled all things from you know diversity, inclusion, sort of looking at coaches and how they go up and down the pipeline. Uh, we've built models for win probability in the offseason. Um, we're now doing a lot with our tracking data and penalties to try to better understand you know what we can learn from the tracking data that would help our officials. So it it kind of runs the gamut, and some of those are hey you know what can we get out of this data? And other times it's like hey actually this is a really interesting question that we know you've been asking about, and now we have the data to go answer.
0: Now, I, I know, um, I mean, you have, I guess, Tom Bliss works there too, right? I've seen I've seen his, his work out there. He does great stuff. He's doing some presentations there. I saw that maybe you were hiring for sports science-y type of position coming in there. So how many people do you have working there? And is hiring growing? Is, is that a big part of what you're trying to do, bring in some additional expertise to what you currently have?
1: So when I started, we were a team of three uh, and two of our our analysts that have been there from the start. um, One is Sean McKee, who's our director on the officiating side. Um, And then under him is uh, uh, Jack Persampire. And Jack and Sean more or less run most of our officiating analytics and they are uh, doing replay metrics. They are um, as close to business experts. They know football better than anybody that I know. Um, they're in there on the AMGC on Sundays. They, um, you know, report you know one to one with the officials sometimes based on on things that they're seeing and, and trying to help our officials prepare for the game. Um, and they're also good with data. Um, so and they've been there from the start. Uh, Tom was an intern in our group uh, and was so good that you know we I did everything I could for you know, almost two years to get him in full time. Uh, now he is. Uh, we just hired Ali Blake as an analyst uh, on. Uh, to work with Sean, Jack, and Tom. Um, And she's uh, interned at the NBA League office, and she's going to be doing a lot of fun stuff with our officiating data. And then we hired Andrew Patton as a director level of player health and safety. That's an area that we're delving more into and is one of our offseason priorities now, where we've always looked at our rules from an officiating perspective. Um, But I think long-term, the league is best off sort of understanding, well, a lot of our rules are designed for player health and safety. So we should probably have that viewpoint too. Um, And then we also have, you know, a couple more analysts that we are uh, developers or or other folks that we're, you know, in the market for too right now that that should be coming on board soon. So our team is growing. Um, You know, I think in a lot of respects, we mimic how the teams have done it in the sense that, you know, maybe 2018, 2019, the tracking data is here. Let's get somebody that can can look at the tracking data and figure out what are fun, fun, interesting projects to do with this. And, you know, now that you have somebody or, or you have your growing team, it's like, Oh shit! We we have more questions we want out of this group. We we need to hire more people. I hope it's okay that I swore. Um, yeah,
0: that's, that's fine. We'll, we'll we'll throw the explicit tag on there. I should have known when you're bringing in someone from the NFL. You know, the the S and F bombs I, are just oh, start flying.
1: Uh, so it's 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 um it's a really exciting time for us in a lot of respects because and it's always been this way. But a lot of the questions we're asking, nobody else has the data that we have, and nobody else is asking them. And you know, with that comes a lot of responsibility. We have to do it right. We have to think about our end users. And ultimately, we have to think a lot about what are we trying to show here? Um, what can we do that can improve this part of the game? Uh, because it's it's actually probably easier just to do the analysis, that actual end goal of saying, okay, what do, what do we want? What is the change that we're suggesting? Or what is the change that we're hoping for? Is That's a trickier aspect, because you're, you're trying to change the behavior of folks using data. And uh, that's that's not always as obvious.
0: Okay, I mean, can we talk a little bit about the the player safety stuff? I don't know how much you want to reveal, but I am kind of interested in the the process of coming up with a goal and then and then working further and further towards it. I mean, you mentioned the the officiating stuff, so that that makes sense. You would have had that long established. There's a there's a decent like uh, feedback loop that you can get to where you can look at how the calls are being made, a change is being made, kind of grade officials that sort of thing. For the player safety, it's a little bit maybe for, in my opinion, a little bit squishier because you have – obvious, more obvious things when a player is injured on a particular play um, and they're out based upon that, the concussion happens, something like that, then you're going to have longer term things where I don't like how much can you can you build data and can you have a goal for, you know, we don't want to grind these players down, whatever that means over time, like a long term kind of even after career uh, quality of life is probably a pretty important thing, not just with the concussion stuff. But, you know, you, you see these guys at their Hall of Fame, Sarah ceremonies. Sometimes they can, they can barely walk. It seems like going up there. So I guess all those different things pop into my mind. And is that the sort of thing you just have a, a bunch of different ideas and you have to be able to narrow down and figure out how we can get good data to, to work with? So
1: I think it's a couple of things there. One is we're not the player health and safety experts. There are other folks that, that can help us with that and do do a lot of that work. So the league works with two companies, one in engineering side, BioCore, which does a lot of our equipment testing and some analytical research and IQVIA on the epidemiology side, they, they drive a lot of the foundations of the league's analysis, um, you know, but there are areas that we can help with and we would consider ourselves, you know, experts in as well, or, or, able to do a lot of the analysis. So, you know, for example, you know, one, one question that, you know, we've we've we're targeting this offseason is the quarterback when they're potentially scrambling, Or uh, design run plays. You know, I think one question is, what is the injury risk on those plays? Two, what are recommended behaviors for quarterbacks in those situations um, based on keeping them safe? Um, And one example is the quarterback slide. Right now, we're sort of fundamentally assuming that quarterbacks should be sliding. I don't know if that's the case, right? They're making a choice to slide. We have multiple injuries you can probably look up that happen when a quarterback has slid is there a safer slide? Is there, um, you know, is, is there some, you know, impact of that slide similar with behavior out of bounds? You know, that's one area of focus from the football side where the quarterback position is, is a current focus and has really been the last two decades. Uh, so better understanding the evolution of the game as it pertains to the quarterback and then what the quarterback is actually doing. Uh, there are, you know, pretty substantial differences between quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts spends, maybe 15% of his time outside the pocket with the ball. Roethlisberger and Brady are like 2%. So in terms of the amount of time that those you know players that are in the Hurts, Lamar, Josh Allen mold, the amount of exposure that they have towards other players hitting them is much different than the Ben's and the Brady's. And we're transitioning towards a league that is going to have more Jalen's and more Lamar's. And so what is the long-term impact of that? I think is is a really fundamental question for the league to think about. And that's one that we're we're trying to tackle.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, it's incredibly interesting to me. I, I feel like I could talk to you probably for an hour about some of this stuff, because yeah, def- the slide is definitely something that I have noticed where not only is it leave you exposed in a kind of way for the quarterback, but I also think. And this is whatever I'm just riffing a little bit here, but I also think it it adds the potential for the for the head impact to the turf afterwards too, and that seems to probably cause more concussions than the actual hit itself in some of those circumstances. So yeah, I, I would be very interested in, in how that would work, and and maybe just preliminarily when you're talking about these quarterbacks being outside the pocket, there was an idea, a data based idea. I thought it was maybe a little bit of a selection bias type of problem where. There was an idea kind of circulating, at least uh, within the last few years, where there were fewer running quarterbacks. That these quarterbacks who did run a decent amount maybe a Russell Wilson, other guys they weren't missing any time, they weren't getting injured. As much. So the idea became maybe the pocket is the least safe place for a quarterback in some ways because these guys who are running more often were not getting injured. But I don't know. I felt like maybe those guys just knew how to take care of themselves. Well, what's your opinion on the additional risk taken on by a quarterback getting outside of the pocket? Because in some ways, they can at least see and feel and react to the hit coming as opposed to being in the pocket. And I think that's always been a push pull where I've never quite figured out on what side I stand is a rushing quarterback more risky or more or more injury prone than than someone who is in the pocket.
1: So there's there's a lot to think about there. Uh, and I'll start there's a really good I think Adam Harstad wrote a really interesting article about I think it's called the German playground problem where, um, and I, I might be butchering it, I've been a couple months since I've read it, um, but it, it, it has to do with quarterbacks being responsible for their own risk. Right. And the idea being that when you make playground safer, you still have the same number of injuries on the playground because kids will just now take more risks. That is one question that we are thinking about with the NFL. In other words, we made a lot of changes to the game to keep the quarterback safe in the pocket and now potentially, and this is unfounded, but just a theory that we're we're trying to think about quarterbacks now maybe take more risks, right? Now we can hang onto the ball a little bit longer. Now we can leave the pocket a little bit faster. Um, and what what's really tricky to untangle is you have this sort of quarterback effect, but you also have, you know, is the pocket the safest place? I, mean, I don't know if you're going to throw passes in two seconds out of shotgun pockets, probably the safest place. If you're going to have long, you know, long drawn out pass plays, I'm not sure how safe that pocket is by the end of the pass play. So it's it's hard to untangle that from scheme and play design. And then the last thing that is also interesting, and you, we hear coaches talk about in the offseason, it's also related to how we're calling penalties on the defense. In other words, if a legal contact is down, which it was this past year, um, you know, and, and players are able to get away with more, the quarterbacks have to hang on to the ball longer, and then now they're exposed to injury. So it, it's kind of a system of influences that is certainly hard to untangle, And, you know, in our perspective, it's probably a little bit of everything, right? It's a little bit of, uh, it's a little bit of how we're officiating it. It's a little bit of the evolution of the game. It's a little bit of the fact that college schemes have changed. And so we're going to get the more mobile quarterbacks anyways. Um, even once we get past that, I think from our perspective, there are quarterbacks that take more and fewer risks. And, you know, it's it's a good fundamental question is how, you know how, from our perspective, does that matter? How do we impact it if if we are going to do something about it? And then, you know, from from a, a you know our perspective, when it's third and twelve and you're scrambling and you're going to take a hit out of bounds, we just assume the quarterback run eleven yards behind the first down marker as <laughs> But not all quarterbacks think that way. They want to prove a point. They want to dive into somebody, and um, ultimately that that is a risk, right? So, trying to define those risks is something that we are starting to think about. And Andrew, who I mentioned earlier, is is outstanding and thinking from that perspective, what does our data tell us? What other things do we need to get? Um, it, it is a long-term project, but that like we started with is that's part of the offseason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, so many, so many questions. So it, it seems incredibly fascinating to me because I, I mean, I, I've always been the opinion. I know like sacks or quarterback stats sort of thing is, is what people will, will 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 talk about to oversimplify these sort of c- equations. But I mean, I think there's always been quarterbacks who you know, they're doing kind of like mental uh cost benefit analysis in their head of I hold it a little bit longer, what sort of extra yardage, what sort of extra play potential do I have? And then the cost side of that is taking a hit. And some guys, uh I mean, Andrew Luck is probably a, a famously a guy that people pointed to, you know, his offensive line was so bad and other things like that. But I think he was willing to take hits. Like he was willing early in his career to take a lot of hits. Maybe Joe Burrow was is that type of player now. Whereas um Ben Roethlisberger, uh, God bless him. He took a lot of hits early in his career. I think the last couple of years, he he wasn't ta- he was trying to take any, any hits, and I don't blame him as a as an older quarterback. So yeah, like teasing out that element of it because that's going to skew all the data that you're collecting on you know whether someone stays in the pocket or not, whether someone scrambles or not. They have a different calculus in their head onto whether they're willing to take those hits or not, and that that can kind of change everything there. So. Extremely complicated. I'm sure keeping you very, very, very busy on, on that front. And I'll be interested to hear uh, what the rule changes are are going forward on the on that type of stuff. Um, let's talk Big Data Bowl for a second, since that is kind of the, I don't know, the, the, the flag. You can really plant your flag there and the impact that you've had over the league. And I know you don't want to take too much credit on this uh, versus the participants and everyone else involved in the Big Data Bowl. But as of now, give me some of the, the highlights as far as how many people we've had participate in this day, annual data event that you've set up, you've made public, you open it up to everyone. So it's not just, you know, a few Ivy League grads who are getting interviews with teams, but it's open up to everyone. They compete, they show their work. And now this has become a, maybe the main pipeline of data analytics hires in the NFL. Yeah,
1: I'm looking at our spreadsheet now. We're up to eight from this past year's event that have been hired by teams or, you know, affiliate vendors of the league. It's 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 exciting. Um, you know, I, I think our we've kind of built a brand, and I think that was initially not part of the process. the The goal initially was let's just let's establish the NFL as a forward thinking organization using data. And as part of that, we are going to get folks hired. Um, but but we're now going from the we're not just uh analytics competition, but we're also now representing the league, right? In the sense that um there are people that are outside of data that are paying attention. Um so w- with that comes extra pressure, comes extra responsibility. Um we have the sponsorship with AWS, who has been great, you know, from a Uh, the budget side of things, but then also, you know, in terms of, you know, they, they give us judges and they, they help us run the contest. So we are, we're certainly lucky. This is, you know, bigger than I think any of us initially set out to be. Um, But it, it does, you know, this is something that is important to us. It, it, you know, it gives every folk, every person that enters an an even opportunity to succeed. Uh, And um, in that sense, if you are skilled with data and or no football, uh, or at the intersection of those, or you can work with somebody who can fill in the gaps that you aren't great at. Um, you can enter our contest. There's no, um, you know, and the other thing is it's, we give you a couple months, right? You you can do it on your own time when you're free. Uh, and, and and the fact that, you know, the winning group gets $15,000, right? That's, there is there is actual, you know, there there is a benefit here uh, on top of the potential job. And teams, you know, I would say there are, maybe half, maybe a third to half of the teams in the last two months have emailed saying, send me your big datable resumes, right? Like who did you have win this year? So I almost can't keep up with it. Um, you know, <laughs> the sense that, you know, like there are only so many folks that both entered and want a job in the NFL because we, we do have folks that enter and don't want a job in the NFL or we have folks that enter and do well, but have another year or two or school. So um you know, I think the supply and demand are both are, are both pretty fair right now and, and I'm you know happy to to keep doing it. You know, our issue from now is like we've we've covered a lot of the different areas of football using tracking data. And at some point we either have to repeat an area or try a really difficult one. And um, you know, either of those are gonna be a little bit trickier to do. So we'll see what comes next year.
0: Has anything surprised you about the the profile of uh people who have been successful in the in the big data bowl and then have you know, maybe not necessarily gone on to being hired, but just people who have been successful as far as that push-pull between, or maybe it doesn't have to be a push-pull, it doesn't have to be a compromise, but between, you know, programming, uh, problem-solving, football knowledge, experience, maybe older, younger, things like that. Has anything surprised you from how the results have, have come out or is it all over the place?
1: I... I mean each year there there's a handful of entries where I read and I say, Oh shit. Like that's that's my swore again. Uh, uh,
0: I need to get a jar here. For you. <laughs>
1: I you. I, I I I anyways. Um there's just sometimes where I read something and I'm like, that's really clever. I don't know yeah. if, if a team's gonna need it. I don't know if if, if who like where this fits in. But the fact that this person or this group came up with it for free, uh, you know, this year there was like a virtual reality punt returner one. Yeah. And so it's like imagine yourself as the punt returner facing, and it's like, holy cow, like, you know, it's it's not ready for prime time now. But those are the ideas that five, 10, 15 years from now, yeah, maybe, maybe you are ready, right? And so I, I think the, the cleverness of the participants never ceases to amaze us. Uh, and and additionally, the um the the sort of General support from the public, I think, has been really fun, too. The reality of, of you know, a couple of years ago when we were in person in Indianapolis, we had, you know, basically a who's who of a lot of the different NFL analytics experts there. Uh, and, and it was just sort of fun to get that representation. And like I said earlier, we have decision makers that are now paying attention. And, you know, depending on the theme, you know, like a couple years ago was running backs. But we had running backs coaches in the room. You know, this year with special teams you know we had special teams coaches that that will now pay attention and so you know bridging that gap is i think really really helpful and and related i think one thing we did this year which you know we certainly hope to do in future years is when you're on a, a team there's never a time where you're going to be like oh i'm going to go analyze the tracking data and that's it a lot of them are blending the tracking data with the pff data and starting with pff and then adding in tracking data or vice versa and being able to do that this year you know, I think really gave participants a good sense of like, hey, I have the same exact data that the NFL teams do. They might have a little bit more, but I, you know, by and large, I can answer questions that should be catered directly to what they're trying to, you know, improve with their team. And that for us was, was a, a big help this year. Yeah,
0: now, one of the things I've thought about with, with hiring when it came, when it comes to the NFL that was maybe a little bit behind some of the other sports is if a team is, just starting to build, let's say, this sort of research and development, analytics, whatever you want to call it, capacity, you might not necessarily have the expertise to even be able to judge the people, the expertise of the people that you're hiring. So then, you know, that's when you get into, like, you know, whoever has the highest GPA at Harvard, and then and then hire them sort of situation. Now, this is, is building on this a bit more. Um, do you think you mentioned coaches and others coming, which I think is fantastic to really get a view into that. At the same time, is there maybe still a little bit of a gap there where being able to judge who's good or not now has just become as a as a proxy, they could just say, whoever did well in the day, big data bowl, I'm going to hire them, even though I don't really know whether their expertise is going to fit in with what I want them to do.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely relevant. I mean, the the, if you remember, one of the initial voices in, in pro football analytics was Trey Kazi, and he had, had a really good article probably about a decade ago about this time about the cold start problem, which is that these organizations are not, you know, they, they don't have a group of eight to 10 data science leaders that can say, hey, we're going to interview all these people and, and we're competent to pick the next one, right? You might have one or two people. And additionally, you probably don't have a lot of time. Teams hire right after the draft, right before they're going on break and, and it's just not, it's not conducive with sort of a long, you know, uh, a fruitful interview process. I do think that's the case. I think one thing that's definitely shifting a little bit in the league is we've always had a variety of titles, but we are starting to see titles that are maybe more reflective of growing data organizations. And so in other words, you might have had a star data scientist or analyst person before but you probably had to call them like, I don't know, a coordinator or a manager, or you would if they were been around that you would call them a director. Um, but that's not necessarily how a lot of data organizations are. They'll have really well experienced data scientists that aren't trying to become a general manager, or they're not trying to become a assistant GM or vice president or you know, executive. Their job is to do a really good job of analyzing data. Or on the engineering side, you know, do a really good job of building some apps or, or something else to help their team. And teams are starting to hire more in that space where, you know, we just need the most talented person. And we probably have to pay a little bit more than we might be used to paying for somebody that's, you know, 27 or, or 30 or, or, you know, something like that. But they are they have the skills that we need and we're going to create this new role for them. Um, so I, I do think as I look at, you know, Seth Walder's list of, of who's been hired and we keep a similar one internally. We have a, a growing number of fields that are like, that person is there to crush the tracking data or they're there to, to do a really good job of building models. And, you know, ultimately like that's, that's how they're going to be, um, you know, judged. And it's nice that the club has the perspective to say, hey, this is the type of person that we need. I can be the conduit to get the messaging across. We can, you know, I look at like what the zoo did a couple of years ago with expected rush yards. Those, those guys would crush it on a team if they were given the right questions to ask in the right framework for analyzing questions. But you can't just hire them and say, hey, go win us games because they're not football experts. So I think teams are starting to, to be a little bit more progressive and forward-thinking and building their data organizations. Um, but you know, we're, we're, it's not too long ago that you know, there were a third of the teams in the league didn't didn't have anybody. So you know, it's, it's still a, a, something that, that the teams are, are slowly building. Yeah, because I
0: mean, the the big data bowl now it is, I mean, you're basically like a a different variation of a tracking data type of question has been a lot of the focus. I guess I would wonder whether some of these teams, I guess there could be a little bit of a disconnect in that, you know, the teams aren't ready for someone to really be able to focus and look through the tracking data and maybe the people who are being hired, I mean, presumably they're talking about what their role is going to be and they have some idea but but they might be you know, at a certain level of programming and working with the tracking data, and then they come in and it's like, hey, can you like crunch these reports for us or do or do something of that nature? Where, I don't know if that's happening or not, but it, I guess have you even thought from a big data ball perspective, you know, maybe one year we don't, we, we, we step back from the tracking data sort of stuff and we try to do something where it opens it up even further to people who don't have that that sort of expertise, but maybe could fill a role um, in, in the NFL, but aren't sophisticated enough to be able to do tracking data type of work and fill that niche, which may still be there. And probably for most teams is still something they need to fill. And they're not necessarily ready for that tracking data guy at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're always open to ideas and that's a a pretty relevant point too. Like there always has to be some level of, of, there has to be a conduit between, um, even if you're able to create these metrics, what do you do with them? Like, how are you going to present them and things like that? Uh, and then also, you know, you're, you're totally right every team has an analyst that builds a dashboard each week for some coach and what's on that dashboard. What are you trying, what message are you trying to get across? Those are different skills too. And, and I'm not sure we're doing a great job of capturing them now in our current event, but it doesn't mean that it can't be a, a priority in the, in the future, particularly given that, you know, week to week, that's what a lot of the folks are doing. Um, but there are, you know, like I said earlier, there are folks that are, are maybe more long-term thinkers and, and their job is, you know, use this tracking data and don't come up with an answer for September. You know, we just need a really good model for next year when we're going to be looking at a quarterback or, you know, wide receivers or something like that.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, here, here, here's my idea. You can, you can, you can take it or leave it. Is it like I don't think you want to not have the tracking data stuff because it's, it's fascinating. It's the next wave is everything else, but maybe it could be like two categories. I'm, I'm just trying to give you more work basically of uh, of like a tracking data, maybe like a non-tracking data category of something to do. I think, I think that could always be interesting. And again, open it up to some people who maybe don't have that, that sort of, that sort of expertise. So awesome. Uh, okay. So one other thing when it comes to, to hiring here, because this is something that I've thought about a lot, I think for, the hiring that's been going on in the front offices for these types of positions i think we've seen a number of areas where you could say that the r&d and the analytical hires are bringing more diversity than we've typically seen to the nfl when it comes to uh, like women who are filling some of these roles um you know non like whatever you want to say poc if you want to use that terminology but then the hires i still think eventually in what becomes a potential issue is you're probably just going to see a lot of the same issues that you're going to see with big tech companies and others where, yes, you're getting a diversity, which is not like an NFL type of diversity, but you're still not getting diversity, you again, the same diversity problems that a tech company, let's say, would have, where a tech company looks very different from the NFL. So it's different, but it still limits maybe some participation from groups and from others outside of the typical tech hire. Do you think, how, how do you think about those sort of stuff and how maybe that pipeline can be enhanced? So each of
1: the last two years, we've had the mentoring program, which which is our, you know, our initial foray into answering that question. You know, like we looked at the Distribution of names. I think it was our 2020 contest of the participants that entered, um, and, and certainly we can't tell from names alone. But but it was not a particularly diverse group of entrants, and for us that just wasn't good enough. So uh, we pair you know somewhere between 10 and 20 you know junior analysts that you know we reach out to all the HBCUs, we reach out to all the all women's colleges. Um, we're, we're basically trying to find folks that are are not commonly found in tech and in football analytics and. Our job is to say, hey, listen, if you have an interest in football and data science slash statistics, you're you're our target. Right. If you can code a little bit, you're you're who we want in football analytics. And, um, you know, we pair them with folks that are on teams and they work on a big data world submission. You know, I think the first year you know, each of the two years we've done it, we probably had of the 16, 15 or 16 folks we paired somewhere between eight and 10 of the mentees turned that into a submission. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, our first year, Jill Reiner, um, I believe has a job with an NHL team now. I don't know if she's announced it, but she did tell me she did. And she also breaking uh, news, breaking news here on the pod. (laughs) Uh, and then Ella Summer was with the Dolphins. Um, I think also with the twins previously, uh, this past year, Alex Pesantez is an intern in our league office now. Um, so, you know, our job is to find those folks that, that, Want you know an extra step in building a submission? Uh, you know we pair them with with people on teams, and you know ultimately what happens at, from there is is you know a, a little bit up to up to them and how hard they work at it. But uh, that's that's our answer is to sort of say like let's go find these folks, let's tell them that this is an option, and you know encourage them to,
0: to enter football analytics. You know what? I, this is okay. This is another uh, unsolicited uh, free free idea that I have here, which probably won't work, but it's you know I also think like th- th- there's been this thing on, okay, cause everything's a mess on social media. Right. But you know, there's like a little bit people at loggerheads between, I would say like the coaching element of someone where let's face it, you ha- it's a grind, right. To grind your way up from whether it be high school or college, it's who, you know, it's working these ridiculous hours. It's doing other things. I just feel like there's probably untapped potential within, you know, a younger, more uh, technologically inclined subset, where who are trying to grind their way up this coaching ladder in a traditional manner, where if they had a you know an interest and a uh, uh, you know a, a, a degree of discipline that they could say. Maybe I want to add these sorts of skills to what I am doing, differentiate myself, and get a better pathway into the NFL, and, and, and that sort of person. But I am not quite sure how you, how you bridge that gap. Have you ever thought about something like that, like a a type of program where you could help, you know, like I said, these younger coaches and others build up a skill set that's going to really potentially propel them into a position where they wouldn't have to grind up in the same way that you would do traditionally for coaching.
1: Yeah, I think in some sense. I still think the grind would be there, but yes. it would be able to say like, Hey, maybe it makes the grind a little, a little faster. So there, there are a couple of league programs. Uh, there's two fellowships, Bill Walsh and Nunn Wooten that football operations runs. We work with Vanessa from football ops to try and find folks in those that, that are interested in those fellowships that have some interest in data, whether they took a couple classes or, you know, they, they follow, you know, sort of up to date. You know, expected points or things like that, right? Those those are folks that you know we try to encourage them to participate because, listen, when you're in those roles and you can be uh, someone that that also speaks to the data folks, that's going to give you a leg up that a lot of folks aren't going to do. Um, uh, the, the league also runs the uh, Women in Football Forum, I think it's called, and same type of deal. Each year, the last couple of years, there have been a few women that that have uh, the data side to things too. I mean, for us, that's that's really exciting just because, you know, we do feel like those folks are going to be able to have relationships um, with the analytic staffers that, um, you know, not everyone would. So in, in that sense, we're trying to find those. I don't want to call them unicorns. Right. But they're 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 the future. Um, and there are a couple teams that that have those folks. Um, Ty Hamlin with the Cleveland Browns was just promoted to director of football operations. He is someone in that mold. And th- that for us is a great, you know, sort of uh, representation of, I think, where football will be in five, 10 years, where you're going to have coaches that came up, you know, they were doing projects in NFL analytics when they were in college, you know, whereas when we came up, there wasn't really much in football analytics to do a project with. So, I mean, I did baseball as a thesis. So like there, there are going to be future coaches that are going to be well versed in, hey, this is why teams are going forward and fourth down. This is why the play action pass is generally valuable. These are the tendencies that we should be bringing to our organization. They're infiltrating, you know, but they're probably just sort of on the lower steps now. And as they grow, I think you're right. There will be more. There will be more of a demand and eventually an expectation to be able to to talk, you know, on the data side of things too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not the most well-versed on the backgrounds of a lot of coaches, but I remember even reading some things about someone like Robert Sala when he was coming up that one way he was able to differentiate himself is, you know, he's not like a programmer of of any sort, but he was able to, you know, kind of show to do things a little bit more quickly because he had some – so some aptitude in, in working with these sorts of things. I mean, I'm thinking of guys that I've, that I've talked to personally, like Daniel Stern with the, the, the Ravens or Ryan Paganetti, who's now with the Jaguars where, you know, they the having that background has definitely helped them move in to, and, and get into a spot where, I mean, let's face it. Coaching is just, it's very much a relationship luck slash healthy degree of nepotism type of business to, to, to make it all the way up there. So I, yeah, I would think it would be interesting for those guys where they don't have to become, you know, data experts, but they could have a little bit of a of a lean in in, in that sort of in that sort of area. Um you mentioned like hiring stuff that you've looked at. So have you looked at the larger coaching hiring practices or front office hiring practices um outside of the the, the nerds and what's going on in the R&D departments?
1: Yeah, so we we've, you know, built you know even some some naive to some fairly methodological complex, you know looks at the coaching pipeline in the NFL, trying to understand what are the transitions like uh, and and how that has evolved over time. you know, from you know it started as as sort of a these are fundamental questions to what the league is asking. Um, you know, I think back to a couple of years ago, there was a good question about uh, whether what the timeline should be like for uh, head coaching interviews. And so one of our questions was, you know, how do coaches that make the title games, uh, conference title games, how do they compare to the coaches that lose the round before? And, you know, there was the the assumption like, hey, these guys have a harder time getting hired. Well, we can check that, right? And sure yeah. enough, you know, conditional on how good they were in the regular season, they do actually have a harder time getting hired, which seems kind of crazy because they won the previous game. So that's the type of, of stuff we, would, we, we have been doing um, is, is sort of answering a lot of the questions that... You know, I think the league is, has been asking, um, and and rightfully so, uh, but it, you know, putting you know some valid numbers to it.
0: I mean, can you can you analyze something like I don't know? I guess the 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 benefit or cost of the Rooney Rule is probably a big thing that people talk about a lot. I mean, is that something you can you can analyze? Because I mean, you know. That someone's been interviewed, you don't know if it's, if it's necessarily 100% due to the Rooney Rule, unless they are the only person being interviewed for a job that qualifies in that regard. And then I guess you could look at their trajectory going forward, but you're not going to have necessarily the largest data set uh, to work with in that regard.
1: Well, so I think more we'd be more thinking, you know, what is the uh, promotion rates for tight ends to offensive coordinators? And how does that relate to how good they were as a tight ends coach? that's a really hard question to answer, but at least you can look at, you know, yards per game or something like that. Passing yeah. course, whatever. So that would be, you know, sort of what have the transitions been like? How have that, how has that differed by experience, race, ethnicity? Um, you know, did they play in the league? Did they not play in the league? Separate that by positional coach looking at going up to offense, going up to head coach. Um, and then, you know, you can do the same thing with, you know, time and position, particularly at the head coach or offensive defensive coordinator positions. How long do they last? How was that related to the success? You know, was was that was that linked to, um, you know, how good the team was when they started? There's actually uh, some fairly, uh, fairly, I would say, complex models. You can do survival analysis on the coach hiring side. We use conditional logistic regression um, to look at how many you know hires there were for a certain number of spots. Uh, so you know, really uh, interesting data, but certainly stuff that is you know a little bit sensitive, but then also, to be honest, kind of a, a nightmare to clean too. So um, you know, we're we're doing that, and now this summer we're doing it on the GM side too, looking at you know transitions to, to general managers. So we have we you know we're sort of building out the framework to provide that each season and each offseason, um, and then obviously with some of the recent rules changes, you know, we could be able to use this in a couple of years to, to look back and say you know, here's, here's where, you know, the, there were improvements or here's things that haven't changed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because in the, it, it, there's a lot of noise obviously in these things, in these cycles, but at least on the front office side, on the GM side, there's been a lot more hiring of not only more black GMs, but a lot of like, there seems to be almost a turnover as far as a lot of younger guys getting into that mold who kind of fit, also being a little bit more sophisticated on the on the analytical side, do you think that's a real trend, or do you think that's kind of noise there? And I guess, like me, are you um, optimistic about the fact that that's see, there seems to be some some turnover in that sort of area, as opposed to maybe your traditional. Uh, You know, you bring in Ernie Acorsi or someone like that. Maybe I shouldn't name anyone in particular, but they they, just they just pick your next GM based upon uh, a list of guys who have who have been, you know, either retreads or or on that type of uh, scale. Well,
1: our our biggest problem now is that uh, not a league problem, but our data problem. It's like the office episode. It's like we have assistant general manager, assistant to the general manager. General manager, executive assistant, like, well, I mean, come on. <laughs> so before we get to, to really sort of are there, have there been changes? I, I, you know, certainly anecdotally it does seem that way. And, you know, I believe Crazy is the first GM that can code and has a coding background of some variety. So that's exciting. And if you look, certainly football has followed the trend, a little bit of baseball and basketball and, and some of these hires, and that would seem to be where we're going. I would be pretty surprised if we don't get there. Um, you know, but it's, 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 it's a, you know, it's not a a linear direction there. You know, you go up, you go down a little bit, you go up a little bit. So um, that's, that's kind of where I see front offices trending. um, But with probably a little bit too early to to speculate on, on have, you know, have, is that big picture change a reality?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, as you mentioned, there's like more and more kind of people in R and D also being hired, but there's so many priorities that especially new GMs have to take care of. Uh, and get up to speed on that. It probably makes it difficult to move too much in that area. Okay. So as long as we're talking all things, um, hiring and networking and everything else, uh, I want to talk with you a little bit about the, the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Uh, For those who don't know, it is an annual, I guess, late February, early March ish sort of tradition in the Boston area. It's sponsored by MIT. It is run by, Daryl Morey and uh, I should have the other name, uh, Jessica. Gelman. Jessica Gellman there. And there was an article that came out in the Washington post not too long ago where you and some others were, uh, quoted in there. And I think, you know, it was basically bringing to life or maybe getting, putting the spotlight a little bit more on what some concerns have been about the conference for a while, as far as the cost, uh, maybe the direction of where they've gone of having a lot more of celebrity sort of marketing to the conference as opposed to being a real kind of nuts and bolts uh, analytics type of conference. But it's also something that I think people find a ton of value in as far as networking everyone in one place in one location. So you you had some some critiques there. Do you want to kind of talk about what was concerning you about, about what you'd seen there and maybe where this fits in, in the larger picture of how people should think about, uh, networking and the value of these types of events.
1: So I mean, I've, I've been looking at in Sloan and thinking about the conference and participating for, you know, almost a decade at this point. Um, so I want to say 2012 ish, maybe I submitted a, a paper, um, and, you know, I remember being selected as a poster participant, might've been to 13, what, you know, almost a decade ago. And at that point, the tickets for the conference were sold out. So I was a poster winner and I said, all right, you know, I want to be there to present my poster. And they said, well, tickets are sold out. So I'm like, so you want my poster there, but I can't be there presented. Um, I'm like, <laughs> it wasn't even a free ticket. So that gave me a sense back then a little bit about, you know, what it is. It's run by a business school, it's run by students at the business school who are extremely hardworking. Uh, They do not get enough credit for basically doing this free labor. Right. Um, But this is, that's been the model for years. Uh, And and certainly, you know, I think that growth and ticket prices is one thing. um, But the, the general, you know, the, the general, I'll be honest, it's cheap, right? Like I, busted my ass on a research paper that eventually got published in of sports economics. It was, you know, one of the things I basically did at night while the rest of my family was sleeping. And it was something I felt proud of. And it's something I'm still passionate about today, which is the NHL's point system. And, uh, <laughs> you know, to not even be invited to participate and not be given a free ticket. I'm like, come on, like, what are we, what are we doing here? And at that point, that was just an individual concern. Um, you know, I think at this point, You know, now that I'm a little bit more further along in my professional career, you know, back then I'm a grad student, right? Who's going to listen to me? I mean, ultimately they did give us a ticket that year because I complained about it. Um, But at that point, like that's, there's not, there's not many changes you're going to make when you're a a unknown grad student. Um, You know, certainly I'm a little bit more comfortable now, but I think more big picture, you know, the, the conference is certainly the preeminent stage, at least boast to be the preeminent stage for sports analytics research, and you know it is certainly a who's who of folks that attend. And in that, you know, in that position, I believe the conference has a responsibility to represent the best of the field. Um, and you know, that's the you know between the exclusivity that that we mentioned, uh, the general cheapness, the grad school labor, uh, and not letting. Co-writers present. I know last year there was a Big Data Bowl group that was an online conference, and they wouldn't even give online tickets to the co-writers. Um, certainly, the you know, the some of the other things that came out in that article that were a little bit surprising and disappointing. You know, I just I just don't think that's the direction the field of sports analytics should be heading. Um, you know, I look at what we're doing at the Big Data Bowl, which is open to anyone, um, free to enter, and we purposely go out and make connections. For some of the participants, um, and the value is ideally entirely in the research ideas, um, and the networking comes afterwards if you have those initial research ideas to start with. So, you know that's that's where you know I stand on it, um, and um, you know it's it's a it's certainly something that I, I'm a little bit passionate about, but I you know I do understand the conference has done a lot for a lot of people, um, but I, I just think that you know, the future of sports analytics should probably look a little bit different than the last 15 years have. And, you know, it's on the the folks that are in the organizations now to to spearhead that change.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to, so, so some details around it. So the tickets are $425 for students, 850 for everyone else, at least. There's different levels that that go into it. And what I thought was interesting about it. I mean, I I am not a a veteran like you are of maybe having been there for a long time, but even in the short handful of years that I've been attending, it it seems like there's a core of the the type of work that you're talking about, the core analytical work and a core subset of people who are really focused on that. And then what's grown outside of it is a larger complex for selling marketing, selling other things, bringing in celebrity types or well-known people and all that, you know, Costs a lot of money, um, and it's being sponsored. I would say, in most part, by like corporate expense of, of corporations paying for people, and they don't care whether it's eight hundred fifty dollars if someone's going there, probably, or whether it's you know two hundred dollars if someone's going there. They're just they're just paying it, and that's what's kind of raising the prices for everyone. Which is maybe a phenomenon for everything, right? Whether it's uh, like if you're going to a, a baseball game or something, you know, the corporate tickets uh, playing things up there too. Um, but I guess from from their perspective, they are growing the conference. It is successful. It is sold out on a year-by-year basis. So maybe it's just trying to accomplish something different than what you're hoping it would accomplish. Is there just a disconnect there, perhaps?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it probably comes down to how you're defining success. My yeah. opinion is that if you're sports analytics conference, success is based on the novelty, the creativity of the sports analytics ideas that come from the conference. Um, and in that sense, you know, for example, you can look for a long time, the vast majority of research papers use proprietary data and did not share code. Uh, again, I'll contrast that to the big data bowl where you quite literally have to share all your code and you're using the public data. Um, and again, if I want to think about where the field of sports analytics is heading in the future, you know, those proprietary, proprietary black box algorithms, you know, they, they don't even make it in academia, right? Much less help you win games on a team. So, you know, from our perspective, right, maybe they're, they're solving for different things. They're trying to accomplish different things. But if that's the case, you know, it's a sports business conference, right? It's, a, or, or something like that. I, I look at the field of sports analytics as part of Sloan. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the flagship conference, you know, does have that extra responsibility, you know, to lead the field forward, um and you know in in some senses yeah great there's money to be made um but you know from from my perspective you know that's there are other things that you could be try to try to be doing
0: yeah yeah of uh, <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to be too uh uh t- too kind of mean about some of these stories, but i do think it's kind of grown into you know it's it's a big event for which which definitely caters to the 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 higher end of, you know, whoever it may be, the celebrity of of whoever it's been there. And that's probably, it's probably been maximized to do that sort of thing. So let's, let's not talk about Sloan. Let's talk about other sports analytics conferences that people may not know about. What what are other ones you want to point to and say, this is what I think is being, is being done right, that people should be aware of. If they're only, if at the time, you know, they're only aware of big things like Sloan at this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of sort of mom and pop type conferences that I think are really well done. And I say that because, they are quite literally run by like two or three people um, and they're not taking money for it. Um, and the research there is, is generally top notch will result in academic publications will also result in a lot of the networking you would see at Sloan. Um, you know, the ones that stand out are the new England symposium on statistics and sports. That's every other year in new England uh, run by Mark Lickman and Scott Evans. Uh, the Carnegie Mellon one is, I think at this point annual um, and it's run each fall at Carnegie Mellon Uh I, they have involved a lot of big data bowl over the years there uh, and, and uh, Ron uh, and Sam uh, and, and Rebecca have done a really incredible job of building a brand there too. They also run a summer workshop for students, which is, is great. Uh, Cassis, which is the Cascadia, it's, it's, it's the sort of Vancouver version of Nessus. It's run in opposite years. That's one. There's been one in Denver. There's a whole cadre of hockey ones that are held uh, at different times Rochester uh is one there's i think a couple other hockey ones that have been held over the years. so that's that's those are the the places there's one in the midwest i think midwest sports analytics symposium there's been one in north carolina um in general all those will be substantially cheaper to attend you know conference tickets for, for students are you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 bucks and a lot of them have scholarships that you can you know get that get that comped Uh, it's just a matter of finding them and and certainly they're a little bit less well-known, but generally those would be the ones where, you know, I would, I would see a lot of newer novel research and, you know, to be honest, probably have a a much higher success rate in terms of hiring folks just because it's easier to make connections when there's only 200 people there as opposed to a couple thousand.
0: Yeah. How how, how has representation been when from, from teams and from others at, at some of these smaller conferences?
1: It's, I mean, I I certainly think at Sloan, you might have a lot of figureheads representing different fields, but I would say, I don't know, my guess is maybe only eight NFL teams were at this past one. I mean, so it's it's not not good timing for the NFL. I
0: mean, it's kind of, I mean, designed by, by Daryl. So it kind of makes sense that it's, it's decent timing for the NBA.
1: Right. So I think there are probably leagues and teams that are better, you know, that Sloan might be better at, but. Um, the NFL does not, there isn't sort of one that I would say, Hey, go here and you'll meet eight to 10 teams. Um, but you'll definitely meet some NFL analysts and some from other local teams at, at, at really all all of these. Um, it just depends on the timing and, and, and the year, you know, for our purpose, the one conference or event where everybody is at would be the big data bowl, um, once we can get back to in-person. Um, so, you know, that is one opportunity. Um, but I, you know, who knows what that's going to look like in the future in terms of timing and, and in-person.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well I guess we'll still be uh we've still got the combine in Indianapolis for another uh, year or two at least before yeah. before the the screaming and hollering dies down and they ship everything out to uh Los Angeles or someplace else. Um okay, so we, we talked about some of the stuff that you are working on. I know I, I may have posed this question to you in the in the past, and apologies, I didn't have it on your on your sheet here. But is there anything that you like would love to do some research on that you just haven't had either the capacity, the time, or the the know-how. Is there a particular area within the NFL that you feel like you could have a big effect on but haven't had a chance to really d- dig into it at this point?
1: Uh you know, I think our our influence has grown a little bit in the last couple of years. So I probably would have had a different answer a couple of years ago. And then in the last couple of years, we, we've we've started to do things that we maybe were outside of our our natural area. So a couple of examples I can give: we on the football side have had metrics of of how good our games were, and and also done that both retrospectively and prospectively. Uh, so so you know, interestingly enough that. Is stuff that our broadcast team has been interested in, and you know we are, you know one change that I didn't mention really at all this 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 hour was the leagues all the leagues different data groups um, at the New York headquarters are now under one umbrella, so we are part of the larger data and analytics team. So I used to report to football operations, we now report to, to data and analytics as a whole, and one of the things that's now easier is making these connections across the different data groups. Um, So so Tom um, has, has in particular, and our our team has worked with the media side um, really on two things. One, scheduling. So take what the possible schedules are for the upcoming season, uh, use, you know, projected win records, um, metrics for how good each quarterback is, and try to project what are the ratings going to look like for future seasons. And then also in season, you know, last year we started for the first time, you know, tinkering with, hey, how good. Do we think these games are going to be? And then more importantly, what are the chances that the games matter for the teams that are in those games? Which when you get to late in the season, there's definitely some simulation-based approaches you can do that that are pretty clever Just to sort say, like, hey, there's a you know, 80% chance that this game matters for both teams. There's a 20% chance that, you know, this game does not matter for one of these teams. They'll be resting starters because they're already locked into a playoff seed, or they're going to be eliminated. And then, you know, maybe we don't want the team in primetime. So that that's one example of something that's like we have these metrics that are, are pretty solid for how good competitive our games are, how much our teams care about them in terms of are they eligible for the postseason or not, and being able to to influence maybe revenue generating sides of the shop is a new area that you know for us you know is is that, I mean that's that's not something we were doing three or four years ago, um, so so that's one you know sort of newer area that I think will continue to evolve. Um, And the other one is, is that I think we'll continue to do more on the health and safety side with, you know, some of the, you know, ultimately a lot of our rules are really a blend of, you know, it's sort of a a combination of, you know, what, you know, what is the football outcome of this? What is the uh, equipment side of this or the engineering side of, of injuries that we have? And then also from the, you know, EPI side, you know, what is that perspective? A lot of the you know, combination of rules changes. You know, we, we did a whole dive this past this past season on special teams. And, you know, we had eight or nine special teams rules proposals that we looked at from a bunch of different angles and, you know, came back to the league and sort of said, here's where each of those stands. Um, and ultimately, you know, that was part of the reason that there weren't any changes is because there wasn't anything that, you know, as you think about trying to maximize, you know, different things in the league, you could we could come up with a punt play that is safer, but we would have much fewer returns. We could come up with a punt play that had the same number of returns or more returns, but now has more injuries. It's, it's like a lot of different things. It's like, we have to balance officiating health and safety, competitiveness and excitement. And, you know, a lot of our job is to try and find areas of the game to do that. So, you know, that I, I think I don't necessarily know if there's one that is an untapped area because I do think in the last couple of years, you know, really the last six to eight months, um, you know, we've seen some changes on those fronts.
0: Well, I mean, I guess it, to follow up a little bit on on both of those because it kind of just jarred something in my in, in my mind of how like the health of the game generally, and you can you can not health meaning literal little literal health of the players necessarily, but I think that is part of it. Um, seems to be in a really good place right now. Uh, I mean, I guess the. The, the dollars and cents way of thinking about it is maybe in around 2017, there was a little bit of issue with some of the ratings and other things. Uh, the NFL survived the pandemic probably as well or or better than every other major sport out there. And now we have the new TV contracts that came through Amazon and others bidding in there. And, you know, those prices are through the roof, essentially there. So do the the metrics that you're tracking, these things like competitiveness, things like that, is that really filtering through to tell you that there is something inherent in that way that's become healthier about the game? Or I I always wonder sometimes, is it just a situation where in 2017, Aaron Rodgers was injured, you know, there's kind of a lull in some quarterback play. And then since 2017, we've had, you know, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, Kyler Murray, Uh, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, all these guys just enter the league and really, uh, you know, spark some life back into it. And it's kind of something that's difficult to even get your head around, whether that is something that's really infused uh, excitement back into the league.
1: Yeah, I I would certainly say a couple things. One is more fourth downs generally lead to more exciting games. Yes. Um, Probably higher variance outcomes. So like, it's weird, but I'm pretty sure we had more lead changes, but also more blowouts last year. So you know, depending on which metric you're looking at, you you could get you know, like our margin of victory was kind of similar, um, but you get you get more comebacks, but you're also more likely to to lose baby by 30. Um, you're you're definitely right on the health of the quarterbacks as being a sort of fundamental to the business model. You know, I know I want to say it's of Dallas's 65 primetime games in the last I don't know, decade or so, the five lowest rated ones I think were Prescott's injury. So like that that's. That's a, that's an injury that, that impacts the league, you know, in in more ways than one. So the, uh, and that, that's a rough anecdote. That's not exact. Uh, We had the, we had the exact one this, this past offseason, but I forget it. So most of our metrics would indicate that the last two seasons have been the healthiest the league has been in the last decade or so. Um, And that's a combination of competitiveness, officiating, health and safety, pace of play is a good one, you know, especially this past year. I don't think we were any more competitive than in the COVID season. It certainly was more exciting because the fans were there. Uh, but the fact that we had, you know, we saved a couple hundred replays based on the, uh, you know, replay assistant process, you know, that led to a, a, a you know, more efficient game. Um, and that's something that we would look at. So, you know, from from a lot of respects, the league, yeah, is in a really good spot. And, you know, it's 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 sort of up to the folks of the league office to to keep that path going.
0: Great, great. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hope we'll, we'll keep going. And uh, I'm not just trying to, you know, blow some smoke here or butter up my guests, but I will say, I mean, I, I'm going to say that, you know, bringing you in for the from the NFL has been, you know, one of probably one of the more impactful things that that they've done. I know you again, you don't have to comment on your your own impact there, but I'm very happy about. the the direction I've seen going in the league, not only the big data bowl stuff, but I know the stuff behind the scenes there where it's not going to happen overnight, of course, but being able to continue pushing it in in that direction and improving the game. uh, I think we're seeing it on the field and we'll see it going forward. So I appreciate your time again. Uh, Again, everyone, Mike Lopez, you can follow him on Twitter at stats by Lopez. Any, anything else you want, you want to plug going forward? I know of course we're going to have the big data bowl and other stuff next year. Anything else you want to plug before I let you out of here?
1: No, thanks for the, the kind comments. I, I do think it's, um, for a lot of the different football organizations, it, it's sort of been a, a team effort. And, um, you know, I think four or five years ago, it was sort of difficult to envision the NFL as being, you know, getting to the stage that we're evolved and that we have events like the Be Datable or, you know, sort of data that is as proficient in, in, as sort of the, the PFF stuff is. So it's it's exciting. And there's, you know, you know we're certainly um, – you know, on the upward trend. Uh, and so it's, it's a fun time to be in football data. And I would encourage folks that are out there, you know, that, that have their own questions, you know, where you know, the data does exist and, and there are, there's a lot more untapped areas. Uh, and, um, you know, I think five, 10 years from now, we'll look back and say, I can't believe we didn't know this right now, um, but we're, we're getting there. And, you know, I would encourage encourage folks to take statistics, data science courses and, you know, improve their toolkit and uh, come, help, come help teams answer some interesting questions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And take advantage of the data that's out there that's being provided by you and others. Yeah. In this, in this one case, I will say uh, correlation equals causation. Mike Lopez in the NFL and boom, we, we, we've seen it. We've seen it in, in the chart there. Uh, anyway, Mike, thank you so much for joining me again. Uh, I'm sure I'll bug you sometime in the future to have you come back on again. And I want to thank everyone from tu- for tuning in. And then I'll be back at you next week uh, with a normal solo podcast and then another guest. Thanks so much, everyone.